Today is Friday, August 17th, 2018. I'm Ben, here with Professor Joseph, and today we'll be discussing Ghana. All right, very good. Um, so, you know, continuing our previous conversation, I want to start off uh, with um, Ghana's transition from a um, autocratic military system led by Jerry Rawlings and the PNDC, and Ghana transitioning through different stages um, um, to, first of all, being a very flawed and very imperfect um, electoral democracy after the 92 elections, um, to Ghana um, making progress, especially with the um, advances um, by the Electoral Commission. Um, and so by the 1996 elections, um, it was still, um, I would say, a country that was a semi-democracy because you still were transitioning from this autocratic system. Um, and um, so this, it was a, a real hybrid system uh, during that period. Uh, and this was also the case, obviously, at the time of the 96 elections. And it's really only after 2000 um, when um, Rawlings, you know, um, respected the two-term limit. Um, his party was um, defeated in the elections. There was a transfer of power and I think it was only at that time that um, Ghana uh, was really moving into uh, the sphere of um, a constitutional liberal democracy. But you know, this process really took place in 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 um, in phases, um, and the. Um, uh, I have to come back to you know the importance of the institutions, especially the electoral commission, um, the uh, judiciary, um, um, and the um, you know the independent media. I mean the contributions they played. Also, you know, of great importance was the opposition parties, um, who. Uh, were highly critical of the government. They had fought it, you know, before they even were able to participate in elections. But the fact, what they brought to the process, um, you know, even after the boycott of the parliamentary elections in 1992. So, um, and let me just zero in on, on 1996. Um, I remember arriving in in in, in Ghana because. Um, and I came there independent of any organization. Just came, sort of, you know, on my on my own, um, using my own research funds uh, to be present. And um, I was able because I was still known to many of the, uh, you know, people on the ground, the media people, uh, a lot of the political activists, um, the. Uh, members of the Electoral Commission. So I was able to move around, move around quite freely, um, carrying out my sort of personal assessment of what was going on. So I may have mentioned this before, but um, in one of the interviews I had um, with um, a, um, a, a prominent uh, journalist um, in one of the independent newspapers, and he told me about a, a story they were getting ready to write. Um, and that story, it was what, when you're going to say that they were going to um, uh, uh, um, report on a plan, a very systematic plan on the part of the uh, governing authorities, which was still the, the Rawlings government, uh, to rig the election for fraudulent conduct. Um, and when I heard that, I became just very alarmed because I thought um, I thought it was irresponsible because I thought it was not very convincing. I thought it was very speculative. Um, 
there was a lot of that kind of journalism going on in Ghana. You know, they would get these articles um, that you just start reading them and they just, you know, you know, they just, <laughs> just irresponsible journalism. Um, and so that there was, because, you know, during the years of the opposition to, to the ruling regime, there's a lot of resentment. So a lot of, you know, abuses and that kind of thing, uh, insult would be hurled back and forth. But anyway, I really thought this was really serious. Um, and so, again, on my own, um, I, um, I don't know how it worked out, but um, I arranged to meet with the, the Ghana, Ghana Broadcasting Corporation. And they were interested because, <clears throat> Professor Joseph, you're coming back here. We know you are present and so on during the elections. And we want to, you, know, um, you know, could you share some of your thoughts about elections coming up? And I took that opportunity to come out very strongly about, you know, is, again, it's my common ground argument, the distance Ghana had traveled, how important it was, and uh, the significance of the coming elections, and especially that um, the, uh, the contest proceed um, with, you know, minimal violence, okay? And so, and, one, and I, even though I didn't refer in that interview to the fact that, you know, this journalist had let me know they were going to publish this, you know, what I considered to be a very inflammatory article, it really inspired me to, to make that comment. Now, the, um, the interview was aired, right, um, by the, you know, and this is, you know, shortly before the elections, but um, one, during the, um, uh, after elections had occurred, and then with colleagues who were, um, you know, returning, um, I learned that, um, that in fact, the Ghana Broadcasting Corporation had continued to be re repeating segments of what I had said on the ear, all right? And so, um, again, you must, you know, just think of, this was a, a country, like I said, very, um, Rawlings was still looked upon as this very um, forceful um, figure, very autocratic in his style, right? But, um, but again, it was um, how important it was, you know, to, to emphasize the need to, you know, that this, you're not going to, you know, we had a conversation yesterday, you're not going to get to a full um, electoral democracy in even one or two steps. It's going to be a number of steps. Okay. All right. Uh, any, if you have any questions, I, if not, I'll move on to other um, things. Let's move on to the next one. Okay. All right. The next one. Uh, you raised a very important issue um, about the um, um, the business sector uh, and the relationship between um, that you can see an entrepreneurial class, uh, you know, bourgeois class, middle class, uh, but business people um, and um, electoral politics. Right now. As in our country and in you know, talking about the United States and many other countries, um, people involved in politics who are involved in building political parties, competing for elections, they have to get funds, right? And you have to get a fund from somewhere. Um, and in most cases, um, there might be some minimal funding that comes from uh, the government itself uh, and international organizations are usually very careful that they don't want to, they will support um, you know um, you know elections and and um, you know training and so on but they don't want to get involved in anything that seems to be um, partisan so how do you in how do you build a um, a competitive pluralist democracy a multi-party system um, in which, as in the case of Ghana, on one side you have a government that's very radical in its thinking, that was very socialist in its thinking in the early years, right? Um, and where the opposition had a, a strong base in the business class. And this was a historical legacy of, of Ghana, 
you had the Dankwa Buzia tradition, and this was very much a very much a pro Western, um, you know, you know, liberal democracy sort of component. All right, so um, and Rawlings was also somebody and his regime very critical of that same um, business class. And, you know, there were just a number of incidents that, you know, that occurred. I'm not going to go into those details um, in which um, members of that class um, felt that um, they were always at a certain risk in the regime. Okay? So what has occurred and in Ghana um, was that Ghana having to shift from um, a... Um, uh, a sort of pro-socialist approach in its early years in many ways um, and also reaching out to other um, you know um, you know Eastern Bloc Communist Bloc countries at the time in the early years um, you know another sort of independent countries I would assume you know Libya and others would be in that mix um, they had to um, carry out a transition um, both in terms of the the economic strategy of the government right and I was trying to remember the name of the finance minister and you'll be able to who played a very important role um, during those years um, under the that first Rawlings regime um, but um, but they also had to now um, build up their own supporters within the entrepreneurial business community okay and this was you know a very significant shift that occurred over a period of time um, but some of it was very deliberate and they used that period uh, obviously they were favoring you know business people who were sort of on their side but that accelerated, um, you know, during the, the first two terms of the Rawlings regime. So they were able to, you know, use, provide, you know, state, you know, patronage and benefits and so on. And so that facilitated um, the, you know, the, the government being weaned off of using state resources for its own, you know, political and later partisan purposes and being able to draw on its own sort of, you know, its own private sector beneficiary. So uh, I'm just mentioning that because I think it's a, and a very important part of the transition Ghana undertook. I mean, and you know, Ghana became, was regarded by, you know, the World Bank and others as this excellent pupil in terms of a lot of the, you know, the economic liberalization structural adjustment policy. That was, and that yeah. was a complete turnaround. Yeah, because they were completely socialist before then. Well, they weren't completely socialist because Rawlings wasn't much of an ideologue, you know. You know, uh, I mean, he was radical, he was militant, uh, and he was, you know, and but there wasn't any sort of formal socialism. There were people around him that he had, but Rawlings himself and his role, no, Rawlings was not particularly ideological, okay. and not in, not in, you know, as we would think, you know, Marxist, socialist, or so on. I don't think. Rawlings ever gave a, a lecture that you could call, you know, of a, of a socialist thinker. Okay. Um, all right. So moving on, um, this important um, issue about um, a, a regime that is a military regime, an autocratic regime, a regime that, you know, um, you know committed a number of abuses, uh, you know, during those years. And how did it happened to make that shift um, to one that would, would now rely on the legitimacy emerging from competitive free and fair elections. When we speak about this, can yeah. we speak about how other countries failed to do the same in very similar situations? Yet Ghana seems to stand out as a country that was able to overcome this pretty large obstacle pretty well. Well, like, there are a couple of things I will say, um, you know, to explain that. And um, first of all, it's really 
understanding and we've you know in our conversations with you know with regarding Afrobarometer and others is really getting a sense of you know these different countries and their different legacies right and so there were parts of a Ghanaian legacy that persisted even during the years of you know PNDC rule uh, one of the, I remember Ghana was the first sub-Saharan, well, yeah, tropical um, African country, not just sub-Saharan because um, Sudan received independence earlier, but um, to receive independence. So Ghana had the sense that Ghana sort of led the way in terms of political liberalization, in terms of colonization. I mean, so that's always, you know, very important. But Ghana also had a very strong, um, um, you know, British um, influence tradition, and I'm speaking about that as somebody from the Caribbean, and also, you know, you know, who came out of the British colonial era, and so what, you know, Ghana and other countries, um, you know, Sierra Leone um, and others, um, you know, shared coming out of that British tradition, that British sort of constitutional tradition, um, you know, rule of law tradition, uh, the importance of the judiciary and so on. Um, and that, that, that is a, you know, that was um, a strong part of the, the heritage of, of Ghana. I mean, when I, for example, when I was dealing with, you know, the fact that um, the American officials, you know, State Department, were really so skeptical about what was likely to happen in Ghana. I mean, one of the points I would make to them, and you could see it reflected in my statements, is that you must understand what Ghana is about. Don't just see Ghana through Rawlings. <laughs> Don't see Ghana just through the last, you know, several years. You have to understand Ghana in that fullest sense. And so when they talk about the Dankwa Buzia tradition and so on, even though you know they were defeated, you know there were many individuals who were still very much committed to what that represented and their vision of Ghana, right, as a you know as a as a pluralist liberal democracy that never went away under Rawlings and you know and and I think that was an important fact. So if we think of Rawlings and the regime, think of Rawlings and the regime moving sort of incrementally towards becoming more uh, constitutionalist. They were not constitutionalist before. They came in and, you know, no, 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 you know, they, you know, all of these irregular things, even the army, they had the irregular military forces and so on. But just think of Ghana moving from that to becoming more of a, you know, Republican in the sense of the Republic, right? Um, and I mean that, and let me let me just jump ahead here because maybe that um, connects to um, you know a point I was going to make a little later on. But let me move to it because you you know that common ground statement that I issued um, after the um, the elections and when there was just a lot of disputes in 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 Ghana, and here again you see me um, you know I'm, I'm almost like. You know, of course, I'm not Ghanaian, and you know, I'm American, and you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not representing the United States government. I'm representing a, you know, an independent organization, but you know, I'm representing the Carter Center. The Carter Center is former, he's a former American president. So even though it's independent and an NGO and all of that, there's no question that there is this very strong state presence involved, right? Um, and so. Um, you know, so when I made that statement, um, I was really um, taking every opportunity to articulate what I saw as, um, as you know, as, as this very strong democratic constitutional aspect of Ghana's history um, and also um, articulating that vision. Right, so I, I recognize I was really straddling, you know, because people coming in dealing with election observers and so on, they're supposed to be, you know, you know, neutral and you know, and you know, not engaged in that. So if you, 
you know, there are statements in which obviously, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not respecting those lines. Um, now, the regime was not, you know, happy um, that I was doing that. Uh, but at the same time, um, for a whole number of reasons, um, you know, I mean, of course, they conveyed their, their, their frustrations and so on, you know, in various ways to, to Carter and, you know, in other ways. Um, and to me directly, um, but it, I mean, you know, I, I, I was extremely diplomatic, but also I was really, um, and I was also speaking out in a way that even the American diplomats on the ground couldn't speak out, okay? Um, and so what you see in that statement is, um, is a statement, um, uh, and again, I really stand by it, that it was very necessary to, um, you know, to, to support the, the democratic forces, democratic vision, and I did that, okay? And it also was reflected, uh, the, the regime was um, very um, suspicious um, of my relationship, um, especially with uh, Professor Edu Bohen, who was the head of the opposition, right? Um, and also, you know, as we now know, you know, even with Nana Foriata, who is now the, the president, because obviously they monitored all of these discussions and all of these meetings that were taking place. They were aware of that conversation take place. And it was evident that, you know, that I was a person who was friendly towards them, but I wasn't friendly towards them in a sort of partisan way. I was friendly towards, you know, anyone within Ghana who I saw that would contribute to the construction of a democratic Ghana. Kufalado, did I pull out the document that had him in 94 from the first human rights conference that mm. they hosted in, Af or in Ghana? Mm. No, no, but oh, yeah, all right. For you. Okay, that's but good anyway, that's good. good to have it since I'll be looking to hook up with him again. All right, but anyway, that's sharing, um, you know, um, you know, you know, um, um, you know, a part of, you know, that period. But again, I think, I think it's very important and we, you know, when you talk about the relevance to other countries in Africa. Um, and I think it could come from different directions. It could, you know, people, journalists can take that position, others condition. But I think it's very important to, you know, to make the message very strongly um, in those contexts. Like in Mali, right now we're looking at it, they've had elections, but you know, you've had a lot of, I mean, you know, Mali sounds to me a lot like, you know, Ghana, you know, of the early 1990s, because you have all of the imbalances. Um, in fact, one of the things, just jumping ahead, when I, um, I spoke at this conference in Ghana on the 40th anniversary, of Ghana's independence and invited by the uh, Center for Democratic Development to sort of give the, the, this, this annual address. And the person who introduced me um, is uh, someone who um, had been in exile during this, this period. And he was a senior figure um, in the NPP. But I always remember in his introduction saying, um, well, it's so good to be able to introduce Professor Joseph um, I have heard from my colleagues about the important um, role that he played um, in, um, in, 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 in helping level the playing field during that period. Uh, and, we, and we hope that he will enlighten us some more about it, right? So, I mean, that, you know, some years later was the sense that, you know, they saw me, yes, card sent and all the rest. But they also saw that I was, you know, I was playing that independent role. Okay. Um, the... Um, the the geopolitics i think it's important to get to mention because remember we um you know we you know we we you know we were just coming we're still you know it's still cold war i mean you know you only you only had the collapse of berlin wall what was happening in the soviet union and during that period and so at that period you know the re, the regime rolling regime um, um would have been um reaching out um, to those forces as well as others in Africa. Um, we don't know, um, I know that um, what was the, um, you know, what were the source of a lot of the funding 
that they were, um, you know, that they were getting in addition to, I mean, Ghana was never, you know, Ghana had gone through a very difficult economic period, as I mentioned. Um, They did not have the private financial resources behind them that the NPP did. Um, So, uh, you know, they would have, they would have been receiving, you know, external funds from somewhere. And it has most likely continued uh, sometime after that. Uh, But I do want to say that, you know, that how at the time that we're looking at in terms of these elections, 92 elections, uh, Rawlings was still regarded as somebody who was, you know, put it in inverted commas, anti-West, that he was not part of um, a sort of, you know, either Western favored set of, you know, of leaders or governments, and somebody who had been, you know, you know, you know, quite critical um, of, of, you know, of, of, you know, of the West as he, you know, he, he really carried forward that, you know, that sort of thing. All right. So this was, um, you know, so really understanding how Ghana, you know, sort of shifted from how it was perceived in geopolitical terms. All right. Um, which was not within, let's just call it the Western camp to a country, uh, that moved you know, to become, and including Rawlings himself, uh, to be considered, you know, a very important figure in the sort of, you know, global, you know, um, you know, um, camp. Um, but so anyway, I'm just mentioning that because um, it was always, it was very, you know, you know, a very present, you know, element of what was going on. Okay, a couple of other things. From that article, and that was the first article I wrote about the elections, I mean, that you were able to call up there and written, you know, or published in early 1993 um, about politics. And you highlighted, you know, two important comments that I made. The first one was, um, and which which surprised me, was when I said that um, by 1992, before the elections, leading up to it, the state media was very dominant, right? But I mentioned that by the time the elections had arrived, the um, independent um, media um, were now, um, by that time, um, were outnumbering the state media, all right? So that's a very important, the, the Fourth Republic has not yet come into being, but the media, you know, so you can say civil society is ahead of political society, the freedoms of the media. You know, you had the various organizations, church organizations, human rights organizations, and so on. But also it's interesting with the media. Um, and just using that one point, the, um, that sort of infamous um, final, you know, press conference, you know, of, um, uh, of November 13th, um, when um, I had spent the previous week doing a lot of shuttling um, to try and really head off the uh, the boycott and, and trying to find ways in which the opposition um, could participate in the elections. And so I was able to just, you know, going back and forth, doing the kind of thing that President Carter would have done if he were president. But he was no President Carter, and we didn't, nobody... You know, we didn't have anybody of that kind of, you know, the stature of people who would normally uh, play that role. So I had to be playing that kind of a role, right? Um, and um, the fact that at that conference, um, you know, they had representatives of the media. And when I was upset by the way in which the television had portrayed what I said, because we had worked very, very, very hard on um, the um, how we, we we spoke about elections, in which we were saying we never used the word free and fair, you know, and we you know we said that you know there were irregularities. That was the word we were using over and over. There were irregularities, you know, it wasn't perfect, but they were not an extent to invalidate the results. I mean, these were phrases we were using over and over again. And you can see subsequent articles, you know, people will be uncomfortable. What are these monitors coming in if they won't really call it and say it? But, but you know, it was important to 
to come in and say that you want the process to keep going forward and you don't want to do anything that could really undermine that process, right? So, but the fact that after that event that these independent newspapers were able to publish my version of what I actually said. So they already were present and, you know, playing that kind of role. So anyway, I think that it really struck me that I made that statement. I would not have, you know, I wouldn't have thought so at the time. I would have still thought, ah, that state media was so dominant. But in fact, at the time, and this is why some of these accounts of the moment are so important, I was already saying, you know, it's a different sphere here. I have a follow-up question. On Go that. ahead. Um, do you believe that the elections were free and fair? Or was that... Like you, they were called that way in order to advance like the system moving forward, and by calling them not free and fair, it would have like completely undermined any like public. Um, what am I trying to say? Here? Sure. Do you understand what this question? No, I understand. Is? I understand what the question is. Um, you know, you have this term free and fair, um, and I would I would say that. You know, in many of these instances that we're dealing with, with, you know, electoral politics and incipient countries moving in, um, you know, the regimes are very quick to want it to, to say free and fair. And you have some so-called observers, which we had at those elections in 92, right, who were basically coming in already predisposed to say, you know, the best they could about the elections. You know, you know, such as the Commonwealth, for example, and you know, and you know, so you and you had, um, and so um, I believe it's in most cases it's best to avoid the use of those terms, because what do they really mean? Because in most instances, it's not completely free because of the amount of state influence and control and so on and intimidation and resources you're going to have and fairness you know you know what is the status and the of the you know of the electoral commission of the electoral register and all sorts of things um so um so if you ask me did i think they were free and fair i would answer you now as i did then that um that those terms are not helpful in this context, right? Yes, you have to, the regime is going to say that, and um, but I personally don't be, believe it's. It, I, I don't believe it's really helpful. I think, and so you know, I've been there, and I, I really understand why it's it's very important to be, you know, very nuanced. Obviously, there are going to be some situations where you have to come out and be very firmly and say that these were these were fraudulent elections. You know, as you know, President Carter has done, for example, with regard to the elections in Togo that, you know, that occurred, uh, you know, not too long after, you know, and others. Um, or that the elections, um, such as the Nigerian 2003 elections, um, were just, just deeply flawed elections, right? Um, so I hope that answers your question. Okay. Um, now, the statement that I made there about um, moving from um, a government based on the force of arms um, to one you know that 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 rests on consensual politics um, now when I look at that you know let me use this term to deconstruct what I'm saying right in that statement I'm certainly not saying that Ghana had made that shift because it had not. The regime was still fully in charge. It still rested a lot on force of arms. It had not dismantled a lot of those structures, right? And um, and you certainly did not have um, consensual politics in the sense that you know it was entering, you know, um, you know, it was assuming power um, based on the, the consensus gained from the elections. So. So I am using words that, in a purely factual sense, does not apply to the situation. So, so if you want to say, well, why are you using those terms? I'm using that, those terms um, to mean the following, namely, um, you know, um, 
it is so important for Ghana to continue to move along the path from government based on the force of arms to one that someday and hopefully not too long in the future will be based on consensual politics. So you have to take that sentence and really stretch it out, right? Um, and you know, I am, you know, I'm speaking to, um, you know, to people who could, who can deconstruct what I'm saying. You know, they would, hey, well, Richard Joseph, why would Richard Joseph say something like that? Well, you know, they would understand whether they in the, whether they in the opposition, um, or they, you know, or in the government. So that's, you know, as I look back, again, I'm, you know. I'm kind of I'm kind of like proud of myself that you know because you're right in the middle of all of it you know that's going on, and um, we you know we discuss this a bit with uh, Professor Van der Waller, is there's a lot of messaging taking place right and so when I go back now and I really you know and I have to do it write up a lot you know I'll be dealing with a lot of that messaging that was taking place just sending messages sending messages which is basically like saying. You know, all right, guys, I know that, you know, I know you're, I mean, let me just go back. Uh, when I, um, after that Carter Center visit, the one I mentioned when I went there, um, and, you know, and, uh, you know, was having my, conducting my own independent examination of what was going on, right? And I even ended up being, you know, temporarily locked out of <laughs> the room going in to meet with Rawlings and his people. All right. Um, on one of my um, my subsequent visit, uh, there was a pre-election report that was made, and I think I'm not quite sure, but it'd be in the documents. I think it was by the International Foundation for Electoral Systems, because you had these India and others going in, and so there was this pre-election report that really itemized a lot of the deficiencies of Ghana as being in terms of the um, the environment for having you know satisfactory elections all right um, and so um, in my when I made my own pre-electoral visit on behalf of the Carter Center um, I cited this earlier document and some of the things they were saying, all right, that the structures that were in place. Well, um, in some of my meetings, you know, with members of the government, they were extremely upset, right? Because I was, even though it was not our electoral report, the fact that I was mentioning what was in that report, okay? Um, and if you're following me, you know, basically coming in and saying, you know, no, you know, you don't have, a, you know, in terms of the media, the amount of the media, the irregular military forces that you still have on the ground and so on, you know, the harassment, all of the things that, you know, one would actually talk about a context as if you were, you know, if you like Zimbabwe, leading up to the elections in Zimbabwe, you'd have people making those reports or, you know, if, you know, elections were to take place in, in, uh, in, 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 in the Congo, for example, and so on. Was that kind of reports, you know, are made? But I'm just showing you that um, the the messaging, I would use that term, that takes place, you know, all the way through the through the process. And you know, so when I'm looking back at some of this, I am seeing different points of the messaging. Um, and of course, the fact that President Carter wasn't able to be there for those very critical elections, and it, we didn't have, you know, you know, one of the sort of international. We, I mean, Andrew Young, Reverend Andrew Young, was one of the people we tried to get. You know, Sonny Ramphal, who's an international civil servant, and others, and we couldn't get any of these individuals. And you know, I think I mentioned last time, Carter, the same to me. You know, well, well, you do it. You know, why didn't you do it? <laughs> you know, and so that was it. So I found myself, you know, having to, you know, carry out that role. So which means that I still continue to be myself, but now I, you know, anything I said now had, uh, you know, carried so much, so much more weight. You follow me? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so the, I don't think that conference took place in January of 1994, but I think it was very important. Um, and for two reasons I'll just mention here. Uh, the first reason is um, that um, one of the, 
positions I took at the Carter Center was how important it was for organizations like the Carter Center to remain engaged, right? Don't just come in, be involved in elections and leave, right? And I think that is something now that is, you know, strongly recognized, but it wasn't at the time. Uh, and even including with President Carter, you know, President Carter did not have a conception of building democracies in Africa. I mean, he was, you know, given the opportunity to help a country um, have a, a better election, a fair election. He was all for that. But his idea was pretty much that this is, this is for other organizations to take on. Um, so, um, so I'm just indicating the fact that sooner, you know, in the aftermath of the elections, if you look at the memo I was sending calling for the Carter Center to be involved and play that kind of role, here again, you know, the Carter Center wasn't really there in terms of its thinking, right? But also, it's also important to see, um, you know, how much um, this communication with individuals and organizations on the ground um, showed um, the, the recognition. Of course, we've moved far beyond that now, not now, and you have very strong organizations in countries like, like Kenya, like, um, like Ghana, like Nigeria that do that kind of work. Okay. But it was very important to see how, um, you know, the, the attempts to sort of work with civil society type organizations to do that. Okay, getting to the last point, the September 1994 visit. Once again, you can see from the announcement of the Carter Center visit what the priority was. It remained the priority, right, um, of the, um, the, the, the health programs, you know, the Guinea worm eradication programs and the agricultural programs, you know. And then Sasakawa was this Japanese who had made his, a lot of money and, you know, with these betting machines. I, you know, I don't remember all the details. And he was able to ally with the Carter Center, providing the funding. After that, you know, he split off and went on um, with his own program. But what is this period in which he was providing funding? And he, you know, traveled, you know, also to, um, to, to Ghana. Um, now, I just want to reiterate, um, you know, what happened um, at that meeting. We're now in 1994, so we're two years beyond, you know, the immediate um, prelude to the 92 elections. And in that meeting, you know, I, I could still see him. I could see, you know, Rawling sitting there wearing this, you know, this, this, this Ghanaian type um, um, outfit, right? Not a flamboyant outfit, but very Ghanaian type outfit and sitting there and President Carter sitting next to him and Mrs. Carter and the rest of the delegation sitting around and they're having a conversation. They're having the, the Carter-Rawlings buddy-buddy type conversation going on, right? Um, and then, um, and again I've repeated it, but sorry to have to repeat it again, but it's, it's important to, you know, think... And then Rawlings um, started complaining about people who don't understand Ghana, who don't understand what is going on, don't understand, you know, what they've done and all of the work. And then it, you know, you know, and all of a sudden it was like, but why is he going on like this? Because he's talking to Jimmy Carter, and Carter is, you know, he's his big friend and all of his sports and everything. Why is Rawlings? And then it became clear that Rawlings was expressing his his um his exasperation about somebody who you know you know was i i was doing my my best um um, um james comey of you know of staying in the uh, you know uh, you know so that you're not going to be um you know called to attention in this meeting right uh, i didn't have the advantage but you know comey was you know you know six foot whatever he is right but um but it was a similar kind of thing of being in that kind of a group meeting that you don't want to be, you're not part of that meeting. So I'm just there, just standing, you know, trying to be as, you know, as unremarkable as I could. And then I realized that, you know, that, and, you know, and again, you know, Carter didn't respond, but I could tell that, you know, he kind of looked over at me like, you know, it's like, okay, you know, Richard, go ahead. And then I took that opportunity to really, you know, speak directly to Rawlings. Um, and it was, you know, and I, I remember the things I, I said then, I, you know, and that, you know, I, you know, first of all, I, I talked about 
how long I'd been coming to Ghana. <laughs> so it wasn't like, you know, somebody who just dropped in on Ghana. I mentioned Thomas Hodgkin, who was my teacher at Oxford, and who was a close associate of Nkrumah, uh, and, and, and his role in terms of the Institute of African Studies in Ghana. Um, I mean, I was hitting all of those points. I mentioned that um, that um, I had a um, you know a very uh, close um, you know personal um, friend of mine from Oxford um, who happens to be the godfather of one of our sons. So my and you know my and I also mentioned that my travels to Ghana during the um, this, the late seventies, um, and so. I was aware of the economic state that Ghana was in. So I understood, you know, the fact that, you know, what they came in and what they inherited, right? So, I mean, I'm giving my little mini response here to, to Rawling, but then I really emphasize how important it was, um, what had occurred in Ghana during the 1992 election. And that Ghana now has been able to go through these elections and it's on the way and the importance of that in terms of the democratic transition. So I had a chance to give my, 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 my <laughs> the combination of all of those elements you're seeing there, but directly to Rawlings himself and in that context. And so I mentioned that, but yet the interesting thing that came out of that meeting was as we were, as we were leaving the meeting and they were taking, you know, photographs and so on, and I must, I must dig out that photograph for you, you know, Rawlings came over and just grabbed me, gave me this, I call it this Bill Clinton type hug, you know, um, you know, as a way of, you know, so it was kind of like, okay, <laughs> all right, all right, we're good. <laughs> so there you go. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Is that everything you'd like to discuss today? Um, yeah, I think that was the last one. Let me make sure. To see. Yeah, I, I don't think I see any of the media, common ground, you know, the geopolitics, the business. Yeah. No, I think, I think we got it. All right. All right, man. Yeah. No, I just want to say a word um, in terms of the, um, the election missions. Um, and... The observer missions, you had in, in many of these contexts, you had different observer missions, and they essentially had different missions, right? So you can have an organization of African unity uh, mission, you can have a, a, you know, a commonwealth mission, you can have an, you know, European Union mission, I mean, that would have been, you know, later in time. But anyway, you have these, you have these different missions, and actually, you know, the Carter Center in those years, you know, we very much, you know, work closely, especially with the National Democratic Institute. All of these different missions coming in. And with regard to Ghana, and, and I also experienced this in terms of uh, the Zambian elections in, in, in 91. But I'll, I'll remember um, a, um, I think it was a, a dinner. Anyway, it was over a meal. Um, that we had, and with, um, and if you said it's Ellis Clark, I don't know, but with the, I thought it was, you know, I think it was not, it, it, that sounded like somebody from the West Indies, but it was, um, it, you know, it was um, either an British or Canadian person. And during that meal, it was very clear to me that he saw them as basically coming in to rubber stamp the elections. Um, you know, it was like, no, nah, this is great, you know, da, 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 da. I mean, and, you know, it was, and, and I remember I got, I got pretty angry because, you know, I understood that the struggle was still underway, it was, you know, this was, the government had made a whole number of concessions, but it was still fully in control, that the, um, the opposition was just extremely disadvantaged that they had accepted to go into these elections, even though the conditions were not really satisfactory, including the fact that the electoral register was, you know, voters register, was something that had been, you know, concocted by the, under the regime and had a lot of imperfections into it. So, um, so the idea, so as I saw the role of these missions, I saw these missions as one of, you know, just, you know, they talk about leveling the playing field, 
but you know trying to if you could think of the um, the scales right of justice i saw this in a situation where the scales are very unbalanced right and so you're not if you're coming into a situation where it's very unbalanced and you're already predisposed to say well you know it's good it's just it's you know what was more do you expect in this kind of context no i didn't have that my sense was that you would try um, to the greatest extent possible to try and you know help those scales become a little more even little you know you can't do but just you know to try to get that process going um and um and that was certainly the case um, in those elections so when you ask me um we emphasize over and over again um, that how nonpartisan this was going to be and you'll see that in the documents and the statement that all of our people coming in to um, to help with the election monitoring all right now you have you know in these countries Ghana and others where the external observers and so on are less important because you've got a lot of national organizations but that was not the case then um and so um you know i felt that the um you know that while there every effort was going to be made to be nonpartisan i also um and given the fact that you're coming into such a, a, a an electoral process with so many um imperfections um that um and again i i would say from the very beginning was let's see how we can help ghana get through this as best as possible right i mean so my you know of course it influenced things i you know i would have said and things i would have done but it was really going to be you know how let's how could we get this you know ghana could get through this uh, in the best possible way i mean and i think so i would say that i was consistent in every regard from the beginning all the way through but i'm not and i you know as you look at this more and more i am not your conventional um you know manager manager of um, you know of election obs- observations i'm not i'm a, you know a democracy advocate who happened to have found himself in that position and was going to you know use it to the you know not the greatest extent possible um but to the you know the most appropriate degree <laughs> possible all right got it all right